it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening. It's a big day. It's election day, midterms leading up to 2024. First, we have to have 2022, and you have a series of things happening right now which has you feel you encouraged about the country. Number one, we expect to get about 120 million people voting. Uh, number two, a lot of people voted already. Some people are upset by that. They want just a, you know, election day is election day. I get it. But you have to deal with the situation right now. It's more like election week or season these days. Uh, we're going to go over some trends. Uh, this hour is going to be big. I just speaking to Doug Collins is in is uh, in the hallway, uh, the former ranking member of the U.S. House uh, Judiciary Committee when they were in the majority author of The Clock uh, and the Calendar. He's also got his own podcast. He's going to be with us providing insight into the most crucial state in the country, and that is Georgia, outside Pennsylvania, of course. And then Josh Krashauer from Axios, providing insight in the entire country. David Avella joins us now uh, from GOPAC, where he is uh, the GOP strategist, but he is chairman of GOPAC. Hey, Dave, welcome back. Brian, glad to be with you again. All right. Uh, first off, a couple of things are going on. I was just reading this Wall Street Journal stories and talking big in big terms. Regardless of how many seats and what Senate, how the Senate goes, some things are happening with the Republican Party that are intriguing and must be disconcerting to Democrats. Number one, you're increasing your presence with black voters uh, up to 17 percent, still ridiculously low, but it was at 8 percent. So you basically doubled it. With Latinos, Dems have an 11-point lead. They once had a 31-point lead. In 2018, Latinos went to Democrats by a 31-point advantage. Now it's down to 11, and it might even be closer to that. So that whole theory of let everybody in, they'll be, uh, they'll be Hispanic and they'll be my voters, that's not working out too well. It, it's not. And as voters, Hispanic voters are seeing so much of what they have been told by Democratic leaders just aren't true, and they weren't going to keep the promises uh, that were made to them. And you know, the other, the other interesting uh, look at this election is is that seventy percent of our candidates in competitive races are are women, minorities, or veterans. That not only will we expand the Republican caucus, it will be the most diverse caucus we have had in our history. Uh, that would be an advantage, and that was uh, until not only is it diverse but competent uh, and strong. So the closing arguments for Democrats, pretty clear yesterday. Joe Biden hashed it out in Maryland. Cut one. Well, I'm feeling uh, I'm optimistic, and I'm always optimistic. The Democrats win the House. I think it's going to be tough, but I think we can. I think we'll win the Senate. I think the House is tougher. What do you think awaits you if it is a Republican-controlled Congress? What do I think what? Awaits you. What's, what's your new reality going to be like in Washington? More difficult. And he went on to say this. Cut to. Now let's look at the Republicans. Do you know what their number one priority is if they take control of the House? They're saying it out loud. They want to give, get rid of everything we just did, the power we just gave Medicare to negotiate lower prices. Gone. The $2,000 cap on prescription drugs. Gone. The $35 a month cap on insulin. Gone. 
Tax credits for lower energy costs, gone. 15% corporate tax, minimum tax, gone. The $800 savings for health premiums we got for the Affordable Care Act, gone. Is that your goal? Look, our goal is to focus on the economic issues, uh, the cost of living, and on crime. What you heard the president saying, ultimately, was he's running out the clock. They know what's coming. And at a time when a president should be a boost to his party in a midterm election, the reality is Biden is an anchor. Uh, And that's why he's been virtually invisible. Uh, If it doesn't go well, they're already saying that he's not going to give a press conference. That would be almost unprecedented in modern politics. You know that George Bush came out and said we got thumped. We know that Barack Obama said we got a shellacking. Donald Trump went out and took an hour and a half of questions. He happened to increase in the Senate, lost the House. So uh, that would, to me, be totally unacceptable and bad for his party, wouldn't you think? It, it, it would be bad. Uh, at the same time, uh, Brian, I would offer many voters have already tuned the president out. And, and the question becomes is, is that when we take when the Senate and we have big victories at the state level and Democrats see, see this, they say it's time for Biden to go. And the question is, is how quickly before the Democrats push Biden to the sidelines when it comes to 2024? They say democracy is on the ballot. Obama says democracy is on the ballot. James Clyburn says this is the, um, when the cusp of Hitler taking over. And then we have the president of the United States says uh, we have, excuse me, the, the candidate for governor in Arizona, Katie Hobbs, comes out and says this will be the last time. If we lose, this will be the last time there is a vote in America. What a ridiculous message. It, one of the many ridiculous messages that the Democrats have, but that they ultimately get away from. For example, let me give you another one. I suspect after t- today, Democrats won't be for getting rid of the filibuster. I bet the Democrats will no longer want to expand the Supreme Court now that Republicans will be in charge and will decide, will have a big say in who gets on the Supreme Court. Uh, it, they every, every so often we hear a new silly line from the Democrats, and, and this is their current one, that somehow democracy is on the line. Well, democracy is on is on the line. People are going to go vote and we're going to make a decision about the direction of our country. And the way they present it just isn't in line with the majority of Americans. If you look at any survey, Americans are are, are proud to be Americans. They believe in our country. And while they may be unhappy with the direction of it, uh, it's no, no other place they'd rather live. And so it's completely contrary to what you hear from Democratic leaders these days. One of the things happening where the turnout's always been pretty strong across the country, it's not strong in New York City. I don't know if you heard, but the, the turnout is not good. Early vote is very light in these nine days leading up to Election Day, which is today. Overall, lack of enthusiasm. 432,000 people came out early. In 2020, 1.19 million came out early. Now, you know this election stuff, David Avella, better than most. That usually doesn't spell, uh, spell success for a Democrat in the in New York City. That's that's where the base of the Democratic Party is. So if your base is not turning out in big numbers now, could they very well do it today on Election Day? They could. Uh, There could be a big turnout. If you're Hochul and in your the five or six congressional races that are going on in New York, that very well could go from Democrat to Republican. Not only do you have to be concerned about the base not turning out, you have to be concerned about looking at the numbers that independents by double digits 
favor the Republican candidate. So you take a strong Republican turnout, you take independents favoring Republicans, not only in New York, but across the country, and you take uh, a weak Democratic turnout. Um, and it doesn't have to be, you know, doesn't have, Florida doesn't have to fall out. Every percent down uh, it goes, it's, it's better for Republicans. And there's going to be a lot of surprises uh, tonight. Uh, let me offer to you that David, you go into a bad area. Nineteen. Just uh, run, run, say that. Say that again, because you, you dropped out. Say it again. Oh, sorry about that. Um, we the Republican caucus may w- very well be at 250 members, which would be the largest Republican caucus since 1931, when we had 247 members of the Republican caucus, and we're well positioned to be at 53 or 54 in the U.S. Senate, which. Uh, keep an eye tonight, Brian, on Bedford, New Hampshire, which has historically been the biggest Republican county. The last couple elections, it has been far more competitive. But Baldick comes out of New Hampshire with a, a win in Bedford, and he'll be on his way to victory. And if we're winning New Hampshire, we're also going to be winning Arizona and Nevada and Georgia and Colorado. And it's going to be right. a big night for, for Senate Republicans. I know the GOP certainly thinks so. Uh, David Avella, thanks so much. He's chairman of GOPAC, and he's been working hard to, to have this day become a success for the Republicans. Thank you, David. Ryan, thank you. Hey, you want to go inside Georgia? The best of the business. Doug Collins is here, the former ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee. Did such a fine job defending the president on impeachment. He's going to be in studio, and then we'll talk to Josh Krashauer of, uh, of Axios. So listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Big mid, uh, midterm election day. So glad you're here. The Brian Kilmeade Show, sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. More of The Brian Kilmeade Show coming up. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's not offering to do anything. I'm going to stay focused on the people of Georgia. And um, the other thing I want to say is, is that not only does competence matter, character matters. And um, if you can't tell us the truth about the basic facts of your life, why would we trust that you're going to tell us the truth? Wow, Raphael Warnock going there. The reverend comes out and says, well, competence matters and so does uh, honesty matter. So right now is Doug Collins, who ran for that Senate seat a couple of years ago. Uh, Doug is a former ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee, congressman from uh, Georgia. Your reaction to Raphael Warnock's closing argument? Well, I I, I asked the same question of Raphael. Let's be transparent. 
What about your issue with your wife and your child support and your kids? Which we is don't never, hear anything about Which that. has never been discussed, and you're not being very open and honest about it. You want to talk about competency? Let's talk about competency, voting for bills that, you, you know, Inflation Reduction Act and all these other, which only hurt Georgians. So, you know, look, I get politics. I get this, you know, run. But at the end here, don't be, you know, just you want to be blatant, hippy, hypocritical here. That's exactly what's happening. He's not being transparent. So the thing is, he stayed away because of the issues. His wife, his ex-wife caught on camera saying, he ran over my foot, yeah. ch- suing for child support. He has two incomes now. He's never adjusted the money for a kid that, uh, obviously, child support. We're not talking about uh, alimony. Here's Herschel, cut 12. They got people coming across this border like they live here. I'm not saying we're not generous. We are a very generous country. We're very compassionate, but we also a country of laws. And that's what we got to get back to. Got to get back to the country of laws that we were. That's his last appearance. His last interview, I think, was with Hannity last night with Lindsey Graham. Mm-hmm. But uh, do you like the issue of focusing on the border? People of Georgia care about the border? Very much so. Very much. Georgia has been a, a, an immigration issue for years, even before it was popular to talk about it, because they were coming to Georgia because Georgia was a growing state, and you were seeing it taking our schools. The county I live in, which, you know, Hall County, Gwinnett County, it was a, an issue. It was, they were, uh, this was 10, 15 years ago. They were uh, stickers on bus stations in Texas, even before this began, said Gainesville, Georgia, because of the poultry industry, construction, and everything else. So Georgia has, but every state, frankly, is a border state right now because of the drug issues and the other things going on. This is a winning issue for Herschel and Georgia. So right now, how do you see this election? Very close. In the this, this is the closest one of, the, of, of a lot of the ones we're working across the country. This one will be your closest race, I think, in internal. Do you believe that Kemp is in front of Stacey Abrams? Yes. By yes. how much? Six to eight points. So if he's six to eight points ahead of Abrams, and Abrams is supposedly the rock star of the Democratic Party, certainly raised a lot of money. She, very good speaker, too. Yeah. Uh, not, not Used strong. to be. Used to be. She's gotten bad lately. She's she has really taken a turn. It's almost like a, a train train track. She's taking a turn off the. See, spur. that's something you would see being in Georgia. Uh, from what I see in her appearances, I, I was with her show for one d- day and a half, and I saw her speak twice. Mm-hmm. Very comfortable on her feet, but oh, yeah. not well accepted by law enforcement. So two law enforcement events, they want no part of her. In fact, they were talking to me full voice while she's talking. The different sheriffs will walk talking to me. I go, guys, she's speaking. That like, we don't we, we don't, don't want to hear it. Oh, I know that. That's, that's well. Look, I mean, just in the debate the other night, she said I called 107 sheriffs. Now think about this: we have 159 counties in Georgia, 107 sheriffs who endorse Kemp. Who many have endorsed? I would endorse me. I'm a, from a law enforcement family, and she basically called every one of them racist. It didn't didn't sugarcoat it. She said, well, they're all, I'm not part of the good old boy network, and all, the, all these sheriffs, as her exact word, want to just take blacks off the street. These are African-American sheriffs. This is female sheriffs. And she just basically said that. That's what I mean. She has just she has went off message. Think about this. Beto O'Rourke, Stacey Abrams, Governor yes. Whitmer are all fighting for their political careers. Yeah, they, and they were the superstars and the next generation on the Dem for the Democrats. I would love to see all three. Two or two of those three are gone. I mean, Beto and uh, you know Robert Francis and, and uh, Stacey are gone. Wh- Whitmer still has the possibility of holding on, although Tudor Dixon came on and— Out of nowhere. I met her in May. First time I ever met her, I was in an event for Bill Hazeng up there. This was right after they had kicked all the others off the ballot. Impressive. And she was taking on, and she you're talking about having to drink from a fire hose. She did it, and she's done a great campaign. We just saw a stat, $250 million spent mm-hmm. on TV ads. What is it like being a, uh, being a Georgian now when you put on your TV— when you or listen just, to your radio. Well, you really don't. I mean, because you get to the commercials, and it's not. And just, they're cartoon-like. Oh, they are. A lot of them are, and and it's been really interesting to watch the the messaging. You know, the, the disconnect messaging on some. What really is interesting, though, Brian, is to watch the progression of Raphael Warnock. 
Raphael Warnock, even two years ago when he first ran, he had this idea of being – he was a, he, his campaign ads were really – I'm going to be frank with you. They were good. He, he was very natural in front of a camera. He played – he had puppy dogs. He had Christmas tree lights. He was real. I mean, they were really good just from a political standpoint, really good. He tried that this time, and I noticed by about September, end of October, and now in these last couple of weeks, his ads changed. It was almost like, this ain't working. I've actually got to start talking about stuff. And so his his demeanor before the camera became different. His he was you know straight. So it's really interesting to watch that. But yeah, between Kemp, Abrams, Warnock, and uh, you know the Walker campaigns, I sort of feel sorry for anybody else on the ticket. So if you were Joe Manchin or Kristen Cinema, mm-hmm. you could honestly say I pushed back against the president's agenda. If it wasn't mm-hmm. for me, we'd added two more states. We would have got rid of the filibuster. Uh, we would probably would have made moves to pack the court. Uh, so. They did. They stopped it. They stopped massive Build Back Better. We got many Build Back Better. The mansion, Build Back Mansion. It's Build Back Mansion. No question. It was his. Right. But we can't We can't <laughs> dismiss everything he did. And he was supposed no. to get something in return, drilling, and he never got it, permitting. Republicans said, screw that. Oh, I'm not going for this. I don't trust it's going to happen anyway. But you can if you're Raphael Warnock. In fact, he pushed for student loan relief. But there's a lot more people who are upset by the student loan, for, loan forgiveness than benefit from it. It's an outward push to get younger people to vote. Oh, exactly. I mean, when you have play- that was his idea. Oh, it, well, that there's another idea that really hasn't got a lot of, of play, and that was the blatant, uh, frankly, just classes, racism, whatever you want to put it, in, that he put in for uh, African American farmers and others at the expense of everybody else. I mean, this has been a very race oriented campaign that's just stayed below the, the radar. But Warnock can't run from those things at all. Here is Stacey Abrams letting everybody know she's still not happy with the Georgia election law. Cut, <laughs> cut 13. The one thing that Brian Kemp is extraordinary at, he has been exceptional at it, and that is attacking our freedoms. He has attacked our freedom to vote. That's why a 1,000 voters in Cobb County did not get their absentee ballots because of Brian Kemp's law. That's why more than 65,000 voters had their right to vote challenged this year alone because of Brian Kemp's law. And that's why tomorrow in 82-degree heat, if you've got to stand in line for more than two hours, I hope you brought your water bottle because Brian Kemp has made it illegal for someone to give you a cup of water. Number one, bring your own water bottle. Uh, what are you responsible for? Wipe, wipe your nose, too? Uh, next. Go ahead, Doug. Bull. I mean, I'm just calling bull crap. I mean, this is, this, is, I mean, this is what I mean by her diverging off. Look, number one, Brian Kemp had nothing to do with Cobb County. Nothing to do with an election office with it that sent out the wrong ballots, in which you know the, Cobb County actually went Democrat in the last election. Let's, let's remember this. It has nothing to do. Water bottle. Is, is Stacy really actually telling people that they're too stupid to stand in line without water if they need water? And also, by the way, it's a lie. They can put water out there. The, the poll workers can put water out there. What they it's just not outside groups. No, yeah, outside groups with shirts on, right. handing it out. I mean, so if the, Trump just, ha- if, if Trump voter hands you. Uh, a water <laughs> bottle, you most likely are Italian ice, most likely going to go, I'm going to vote for Trump. So you say, let's just eliminate that. Well, we've, we've kept that away for years in every state in this country. And it, but it's crazy. Right. So Doug's going to stick around. Josh Kreisauer from Axios is going to be here. We're watching the trends and we're watching the polls open. And we're seeing where we go. Already a challenge in Pennsylvania on these ballots and dates. I'm going to talk to Josh as well as Doug about that. It's a big day. I hope you're taking the time to vote. And thanks so much for listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
I think there was this kind of fool's gold, this idea that you know, the threat to democracy is so severe in the wake of this insurrection, in the wake of these election deniers possibly grabbing control of the government, that that was something that you had to talk about. But you also had to talk about the economy. I think the tragedy here is that uh, the Democrats have something to say on the economy, but we didn't focus enough firepower on that issue, and I think it's going to potentially cost us. Van Jones oftentimes gives great analysis. I think it's another time. I was shocked to see democracies in the balance. This could be our last election if Republicans were to prevail. Josh Krashauer is here. He doesn't get caught up in the rhetoric, just the facts. Senior political correspondent in Axios. And Doug Collins, we met his financial demands. He will stick with (laughs) us throughout the half hour. Josh, what I love that you did here is knocked down in such a huge country with so many, so many dramatic, so much drama inside these congressional races what to look for, where do you start? So the seven important election night bellwethers, what is one we should all look at? Well, look, I always like to look. It's going to take a long time to count votes in a lot of states. So there's some early closing time states. There's some early smoke signals that we're going to look at early on. Virginia is one of those states. It's three three competitive House seats, all voted for Biden by different margins in, in 2020. And the one I'm watching most closely is Abigail Spanberger's uh, reelection campaign against Yesley Vega. In the outer D.C. suburbs. It's a district that Biden won by seven points or so. It's a district that, you know, Spanberger's been a pretty moderate center-left type of Democrat. She's run a great campaign, has a lot of money, uh, has criticized the left wing of her party. She's done everything the right way, and yet she could end up losing. And if she does, that's a sign that this could be a wave-type election and, you know, throughout the rest of the night. I've got you another one that I think is going to be early, one of the early ones to look at. Andy Kim, Bob Healy in New Jersey. That race right there is Why? off the radar. I think it's close. I, I think you're actually seeing this, and I've heard from a lot of folks in the New Jersey area. This is Andy Kim, you know, sort of rising Democrat, safe Democrat area, and all of a sudden you've got a, Dem- a Republican that's running basically even in that race. I've I've heard from you know a lot of folks in that race, and if that one goes, it, it's one of those bellwether kind of things. If you're getting a New Jersey Republican beating Andy Kim, yeah, that's going to be a race. Um, Liz Cheney weighs in on this. <laughs> she endorsed. Uh, I mean, look, she, she's actually built some alliances with some of these national national security minded uh, Democrats. So and she's got a CIA background. Spanberger, Slotkin. Yeah. Uh, you know, look, it could be a rough night for for Liz Cheney because Slotkin. I mean, that's another Democrat who's you know hanging in there, run, running running a competitive race, a well funded race. But look, the, those are races that could fall in a Republican wave, and it it, it could be just the beginning. Of, of what could shape up to be a, a big night for Republicans. You know, what's interesting is I just if there was a record and I just bring this up, the people that have a record of pushing against the agenda that, that Republicans believe yielded this inflation is Manchin and Cinema. It's hard to just say I was against all this when you didn't vote against all this. It, I feel like we need a it's not just a messaging issue. Uh, there, there are a lot of people that are Monday morning quarterbacking on the Democratic side. And I think they make some good points about the Democrats not talking about the economy. But but the real problem is that the first thing President Biden did at a time when the economy was in good shape was put a $1.9 trillion in, in spending, despite Democrats, moderate Democrats, like former uh, Clinton Treasury Secretary, former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers, mm-hmm. a, lot, a lot of really savvy Democratic advisors saying, don't, don't overstimulate this economy. Work with some Republicans. Try to get something spent. We got the vaccine. We're coming out of the pandemic. Mm. We were forced to spend so much. Trump just cut a check for seven hundred billion oh, yeah. or something yeah. in December that uh, before he left. Oh yeah, but, I was I was there at that end, it, and we had, and people forget that it, it was a it was a tough vote for a lot of Republicans so in December. We had just voted that, and then all of a sudden you put this on top of it again. And, and once that got passed, the next big 
economic proposal was to put four plus trillion dollars <laughs> more in social spending money to the point where this is where Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema sort of saved the day for the Democrats. Because if you can imagine what the inflation rate would be looking like right now and what the economy would be looking right now, if we put four, four plus trillion dollars more into the economy. In that Bill Back Benner famous plan. Uh, Alyssa Slotkin and Tom Barrett is that that's the matchup. That's the other one, the matchup. And the, the those were both in Virginia. Uh, you also say there's another thing to look at, and that is the um, well, the New York governor's race, I know. But you also say look at Kansas. That's a bright spot for Democrats. Yeah, I mean this is where the abortion issue has helped the Democratic Party. There are a few states where abortion rights may be more on the line than, than in many other states. And Kansas, you've got a very active Democratic base in the suburbs in, around Kansas City. And there's a lot of scar tissue around former Governor Sam Brownback. He's a Republican former governor. Um, who really, you know, there's a lot of scar tissue. In, in what? Them. He cut too much? Cut, cut, well, he cut taxes, but he also cut spending an awful lot, cut cut school funding, cut, cut a lot of programs in the state. And his job approval is, is low. And a lot of the Republicans who have connections to Brownback have found themselves in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, it's going to be interesting in Kansas. And Chris Croft, one of the leaders out there in the legislature, some others. But the, the interesting thing is Kansas was the first out very quickly with basically blatant lies from the left on the abortion. That, that constitutional amendment that everybody made such a big deal about, they said, oh, this will shut down abortions completely right this minute. No, it wouldn't. And the pro-life community out there was caught flat-footed. They didn't fight back. It's going to be very close, but I think it's an issue. Josh, the thing is, this whole abortion thing in August looked a lot different. In July, it looks a lot different. The Dobbs decision looks a lot different now. And it didn't seem like all the experts understood that this could run its course, that sooner or later we're going to realize this is a state issue. And Zeldin started cutting ads to say, listen, I, I might, and Rubio was the first that I can remember. I'm pro-life, but Florida isn't. I'm not going to get involved, it's whatever the weeks are. And then you had the same thing. Zeldin cut an egg goes, I'm not touching it. I'm pro-life, but I'm not touching it. And I think even Democratic voters in these blue states, New York, Oregon, mm-hmm. New Mexico, they know that abortion policy is not going to change. And they have a lot of other big fish to fry, the economy, crime, crime. The, the border and some of those, those southwestern states. So, you know, even Democrat, you're seeing yeah. low Democratic engagement. In, that, that's why we're talking about New York. That's right. why we're talking about Oregon and these governor's races. Democrats don't feel like they need to show up and protect abortion rights because they don't, they don't feel like that is at stake in this election. So, you know, if you guys would check my text messages, it's all about does Zeldin really have a shot? And it's been <laughs> all summer because he had the military background. He's a Jewish and he was successful in a purple area in, on Long Island. Josh, uh, I Trafalgar says he's up one or down one. Everybody else says he's four or five. What do you think? Well, look, I, I like to look at where the candidates are spending their time in the final few days. And I'm struck by the fact that Zeldin has spent time in New York City in, at subway stops in the Bronx and across Queens. I mean, these are areas you don't usually see a Republican statewide in New York. And it suggests to me that if, if Zeldin makes this close, if he, has, if he has a chance at winning, it's going to be doing surprisingly well among non-white voters in New York City. I also was surprised to see Kamala Harris in Manhattan uh, trying to turn out Democrats in the final few days. Yeah. That, that, that's something you don't see very often either in a New York race. Well, I agree with Josh completely, except one thing about it. You saw Hochul here. I mean, you see, and she was in, in the, and it's like, okay, you always go, where are you having to firm up your base? And that's it. So the other thing is when it comes to crime, I'm amazed that it wasn't, this is my approach to crime. This is my approach to crime. It was crime is a huge problem. And Hochul's saying, why are you making such a big deal of it? You're, you're being uh, sensationalistic about it. And then she calls in um, these celebrities. She's got Kamala Harris. She's got Jill Biden. 
She also has the president of the United States. She has uh, she has Bill Clinton, the former president of the United States, all speaking for. And Bill Clinton, with the instincts that you can only read about that you think he'd write books about, says this over the weekend. Lee Selson, she makes it. He makes it sound like Kathy Hochul gets up every morning, goes to the nearest subway stop, and hands out billy clubs and baseball bats <laughs> to everybody who gets on the subway. Doesn't he? It looks like he's auditioning to replace Dwayne Johnson in all those movies. So um, tell me how you think that went over, because at the same day there were two stabbings in subway crime. By the way, it's up 40 percent. It's the highest in 20 years. Yeah, Brian, there's a certain dismissiveness in certain races with certain candidates about the issue of crime. Now, you know, the Democrats that are actually going to do well, Tonight, maybe survive the red wave, a potential red wave. A Josh Shapiro in Pennsylvania, who has not dis- dismissed the crime issue in, in Pennsylvania. Now, you could criticize his record, perhaps, as attorney general, but he has run to the middle and he's addressed concerns about crime. You know, Oregon you, you, is the opposite, right? New York and Oregon. You have Democratic candidates, Democratic governors who almost pretend that there, there is not a crisis at play. And that's the worst – that's the worst thing you can do as a politician. When voters are telling you something, that we need something addressed, to dismiss it, to joke about it, to laugh about it, that gets the opposition motivated more. And it also alienates those swing voters that really are concerned about crime. So he's a friend of yours. Yeah. And you know that he has been unwavering in pushing yes. the crime. And and the thing is, sadly, we get more and more examples. Most caught on tape yesterday after those, we had two incidents, uh, two subway attacks. A 44-year-old was stabbed in the neck. And then a 54-year-old saw a woman being assaulted. He went over. He gets stabbed in the arm. Yeah. So the, uh, really, so it's really that funny for Bill Clinton to come out and say that? Well, he just one, it shows out of touch Bill Clinton is. He thinks he can just come, do his old normal shucking jive, and everybody will just come on. But, no, Lee has been on this case all along. And the Oregon, what's really interesting to me is nobody's made a, a big deal about Oregon as much as you see. you got half the state wanting to join Idaho. I mean, g- g- give me a break here. You're not exaggerating. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. Literally, there's they on the ballot out there. <laughs> half the state is trying to join Idaho. And then you've got – and what is interesting is I've, I've got some friends out in Oregon. The hunting community, the outdoors community – is is really getting behind uh, Drazen out there on this Republican Christine side? Drazen. Yeah, Drazen. and so it's it, Oregon is you know it's going to be you know a little point before we find out, but it's interesting. Uh, go ahead. Well, yeah, Oregon is interesting too because there was a referendum that passed a few years ago legalizing hard yes. hard drugs, and the Republican and the Independent are saying let's get rid. This law coincided with a huge spike in, in crime, homelessness, disorder in the streets of Portland. The, the Democrat is, is doubling down on, on her support right. of this referendum, the Republican and the Independent saying we need to change things. Before we move on, what is your sense, Josh? Uh, Josh is here with Axios and uh, uh, Doug's here with uh, George from Georgia. What's your podcast, by the way, Doug? Doug Collins. Collins podcast. All right. So, Josh, what is your sense? How close is this race for a governor in, in New York? It, it, I think it's going to be very competitive. It's hard to imagine a Republican winning in New York state, but – Look, I've talked to Democrats that are very worried about about the the vibes in the state. They they feel like the governor's race is a safe way to register their their discontent, and that's giving Lee Zeldin the fighting chance. Just so it was interesting, uh, this story today on CNBC, uh, this guy Bernard Schwartz gave gave Hochul sixty nine thousand dollars, and he said, "I'm really worried because she's not talking about the economy, she's not talking about crime, but still wrote her the check. She's great at collecting money. She just has no experience. Uh, I don't think she expected." To have a real race. And I'll just bring you this. What do you guys think about this? Only 432,000 came out to vote early in the midterms. 
2020, and I know it was a presidential, it was 1.19. So that's considered very low. Conventional wisdom is Democrats would pay the price on that. You're not thrilled. You're not, you, know, you don't love that stat. Early voting can be very tricky because you're comparing apples to oranges and, and more people are voting early now. So it's hard to make these these comparisons. State by state, you're seeing different different dynamics. But I think any extrapolation of the early vote can be very, very risky to do. I think you're also going to have to look at where the early vote is. is that you can do it better now. The data is out there and you can look at it. And I think Josh is right. But it's, it's interesting, like in Georgia, the Democrats are very concerned because the Georgia turnout early votes, where it's coming from, is lower than what they projected. When we come back, leadership on the Republican side, if they get the majority, does Mitch McConnell have the votes to be a majority leader? After all, Rick Scott not backing off. And the former president of the United States making it clear next week is the week he declares. But who he took a shot on over the weekend is certainly certainly noteworthy, as a lot of people scratching their heads. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. We have the best poll numbers. Where are they? Are they putting them up on the street? We're winning big, big, big in the Republican Party for the nomination like nobody's ever seen before. Let's see. There it is. Trump at 71. Ronda Sanctimonious at 10%. Then Mike Pence, he said, oh, Mike's doing better than I thought. He's at 7%. <laughs> Josh Crashar is here from Axios, and Doug Collins is here, a uh, former congressman from Georgia. Uh, Josh, your reaction to when you heard that? Look, get ready for a civil war because I Trump's running. He's going to announce, sounds like, next next Tuesday. I don't. Th- I think DeSantis is going to have a big win in Florida, and I think it's going to be one of those wins where you know, he does really well with Hispanic voters. He may, may win Miami-Dade County, uh, which is a— you know, pretty traditionally Democratic stronghold in the state. He's going to have a lot of momentum after that election. And I think we're heading towards a collision course between two big titans right now in the Republican Party. Trump certainly as a former president would, would start out as, as, uh, with, with the advantage. But DeSantis is probably going to give him the biggest threat. Do, do your sources he's say he's DeSantis is going to run? Not definitely, but it, I, I've heard nothing to, to from anyone in that in that circle to say he's leaning against it or is intimidated by anything Trump has said. Behind the closed doors, we did hear some reporting. I might have read an Axios that behind closed doors, he can't believe that after all this and after January 6th, that Trump was running, Doug. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, I mean, DeSantis right now is, is riding the hot streak. It's like the old, you know, I'm in Vegas on a heater. I'm not going to stop. And so, but the question is, though, is his age, his prospect. He's 44. Four more, four more years as governor. I mean, in a big win in Florida tomorrow. I mean, he's got four years, two years, even Trump. I tend to say right now, Probably not take this on. I mean, but he, but he's in a position to do it. But, but yeah, I agree with you. President Trump's going to announce pretty quick. Well, and, and the thing with DeSantis is, I mean, he, the, his moment is now. I, I do think he could make a later run. He's young. He has plenty of time, as as Doug was saying. But his big issue is is, is how he handled COVID, how he opened the the state up before a whole lot mm-hmm. of other states took risk and. That 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 is not it probably doesn't have as much resonance down the road. He has a chance to get to Donald Trump's right uh, in a possible primary on, on COVID, on Fauci, on some of the regulations. Uh, and, and 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 I don't know if you go down the road where it's a crowded Republican field with a lot of talent in the Republican Party. He has that ability quite as much to distinguish himself. It was pretty amazing. You know, Richard Nixon got impeached, almost got impeached, got out in time, and they spent the rest of his life trying to come back from it. 
They tried to impeach Trump twice. twice. They almost did. And then they have January 6th, and there's a trial on that. And there's about uh, three open cases. Where they, uh, the one in New York is clearly political, but the one in Georgia and then the one with Mar-a-Lago. And he's going to run as a front runner by far. We've never – Doug, we've never seen anything like this in our life. But, but you, I remember – I'll go back to a story. The first week we were back in 2017, the president got elected. He was inaugurated. We get in. And I remember Josh seeing you know, a lot of the folks in D.C. And I had these reporters come to Can you believe he's doing this? Can you believe – I said, yeah, he ran on it. He is, he is the most unique person in politics in the last you know, however many years you want to put it. Because the crazy thing about it, whether you agree with it, disagree with it, if he says it, he'll do it. And he has such a Teflon coating – he go right at right. it. And I would say the other thing is less sexy but certainly important. Uh, 74-year-old Mitch McConnell as the majority leader or minority leader. Is Rick Scott a real threat? I, I don't think Rick Scott ultimately runs against McConnell for leadership. But I do think – But Rick you know Bulldog doesn't want uh, uh, well, McConnell and he got the money pulled <laughs> out from him in New Hampshire well, if he look, wins. You, you hit the nail on the head, Brian, because that, that New Hampshire race with Don Bulldog, the Arizona race with Blake Masters. Pulled money out. Both didn't fund Masters at all and, and, and pulled money out in New Hampshire for Bolduc. If those Republicans win, uh, maybe maybe or maybe not Scott runs for leadership, but those are going to be thorns in McConnell's side in a Republican majority if they one or, one or two of them get elected. You forget it's a majority vote. Closed doors, majority vote, one vote. McConnell's already got the votes. He's already got the votes? He's already got the votes. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Uh, hey, guys, the President Freedom Fighter is out. I'm going to be uh, in Oklahoma City uh, on Monday at the Eagle event. Uh, for uh, a car crew barbecue, so be there. Uh, the Patriot Royals will be signing, and also uh, the Barnes & Noble in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, the day after the Patriot Awards on November 19th. And don't forget, on Saturday in Mississippi, let's go to Brandon, Mississippi, on Saturday, and then on Sunday in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, go to briankillme.com and find out more. Josh, where are you going to be on the rest of the day? I will be. I'm actually doing America's Newsroom. I'll be on... Uh, everything. Everything in the election night coverage. And Doug, we'll see you all over the channels, too. All over the Fox channels. Business all and all Fox News. Yeah. Hey, guys, it's been a great hour. Thanks so much. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show on Midterm Election Day. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world. This hour, if you're watching Fox Nation, you can see my two great guests, Shannon Bream and Kellyanne Conway, uh, and Lindsey Graham at the bottom of the hour. Then we'll do a simulcast uh, with Stuart Varney. That's a lot to do. This is something like you would think someone with the experience like a network anchor would have to be able to do an hour like that. <laughs> do you think you're up for it? Do you need some tips? Right, yeah, I do. Okay. Can you, maybe in the break. But it's good. To, have you guys ever appeared together? I don't. Well, no. I mean, yeah, we've had Kelly on as a guest, but not the two of us as guests together. Uh, it's I a banner day for girl power up in here. There's no right or wrong answer, just your answer. Kellyanne, do you ever remember this much excitement about midterms? Am I just caught up in the moment? It is exciting, and it's going to be a great night for the away team, the Republicans, the party out of power. I was a baby pollster in 1994, Shannon and Brian, mm-hmm. watching Newt Gingrich and Frank Luntz and Haley Barber do the contract with America. And I've had this conversation with Newt recently. 
that um, it just seemed more difficult then, meaning you didn't have social media and a way to communicate with people as such. But the contract with America, crime and economy were the top two issues in 1994 as well. But in the contract, it ended up being crime and ended up being three strikes you're out, anti-recidivism. And the economy ended up being the balanced budget amendment. Nobody even talks that way anymore. So this time it's so much more granular, so much more personal to voters. But the issue set is the same, and I'll never, I'll never understand how an entire Democratic Party, including popular figures like former President Obama, did not go where the voters asked them, begged them to go, which is to talk about inflation, crime, education, immigration. And, and I'm so not sure what you saw. Uh, Shannon, but I saw the Republicans, the Democrats talking more led by their superstar, President Obama, talk about democracy is on the ballot. Democracy is on the ballot. And I was shocked by that. And then the Katie Hobbs came out and said, this could be your last election if the <laughs> last election, it's if Republicans prevail, oh, is that a little hyperbolic or? Well, I mean, this is like when I had Representative Clyburn on on oh. Sunday and he had made this comment that this not, may not only be the end of democracy, this could be the end of the world. And when I confronted him with that, he said, oh, I didn't say that. I, we just played the soundbite. And this is you saying end of the world. I'll read it back to you. And he's like, oh, OK, well, maybe that was a little bit too far. So even for him, he realizes some of this has gotten kind of hyperbolic. But the whole point of going to the ballot box and casting your vote for whomever you choose, that is the idea of democracy, small d. We are a republic, as pe- we, people will remind right. us if we don't say it. But Do, do you want to relive that moment? Uh, I, do I, I wanted to do that. <laughs> Cut do it. Democracy will be ended. The world will continue to exist. The world was here before Hitler. The world was here after Hitler. That's what we're saying. No, the world will not end. The kind of world we have, the kind of country we have, we've got to decide how do we want to exist in this world. And that's what we're talking about. If people want to deny it, that's fine. But the facts are very clear. I've studied history all of my life. Okay. I taught history. And I'm telling you, what I see here are parallels to what the history was uh, in this world uh, back in the 1930s in Germany, in Italy. And then you followed up and made him just walk back? Is it, are we really, you really think we're on the cusp of, does he really believe we're on the cusp of Hitler's Germany? Well, he pretty much stood by that. And I said, well, are voters to infer from that then that if they don't vote for you, for Democrats, they're voting for something akin to the rise of Hitler? Because I don't know what the message is otherwise. It sounds like that's what he's saying. And he's gotten a lot of pushback because he invokes that imagery a lot. He has in the last few years. But he says, based on his view of history, that he thinks we're in a very dangerous place. Right. I, I think we're in, a, in many ways a little bit better of a place. At least we're, we're not talking about racial unrest. We're not talking about riots in the streets. The one thing I brought up on Saturday, Kellyanne, was the one thing about the president of the United States, his controversy where people would disagree with how he handled the problems – we all agree there was a problem. We all agree there was a problem at the border. We all agree that these this unrest in the streets had to stop. We we all you know we we would go and debate how he did it, and both sides would take their separate uh, take separate positions. But I'm shocked that this administration is not addressing the problems. They're not, and even you saying President of the United States and referring to President Trump. I mean, the reason is because so many people in this election are saying, "How do we get back to what I had two short years ago, four short years ago, especially pre-COVID, which is um, the two dollar and fifty cent gasoline, which is one point nine percent inflation, not eight point one, and it goes on and on. Keystone Pipeline jobs, et cetera. But you know, Brian, they're not even debating. The they're not debating the process because they're not even debating policies. I cannot believe that they haven't 
that they haven't listened to the people. And I think in addition to the question, Shannon and Brian, of are you better off? Is your life a better or worse? I think the question this time is also a variation of who saw you? Who heard you? Who listened to you? Who actually tried to tackle the problems? And I think Kevin McCarthy's commitment to America, 500 words, not pablum, not sound bites, not big binders, but saying an economy that is strong, a nation that is safe, a future that is free and a government that is accountable with specifics under there. I think that was smart to not just say we're not the Democrats. And and, what, what, and, and respectfully, what Congressman Clyburn is saying also is he didn't give any specific examples. If he had said, I am outraged with what just happened at the early vote in such and such precinct, people are running for their lives. There were no examples. There were no specifics. And there was no substance there in terms of the issues that people in his state of South Carolina and elsewhere are saying they are worried about this cycle. Shannon, the mechanics of the the election tonight, when do you think we'll start seeing some results? We know that Georgia closed at 7 Eastern, North Carolina, Ohio, West Virginia, 730 uh, a lot of drama uh, in California. There's some intriguing races out there. Close at 11 o'clock. When do you think, besides Florida, who really signed, sealed, and delivered mm-hmm. early, where do you think we're going to be waiting the longest? Pennsylvania, because I think that's going to be days. And in Georgia, if the the two primary races there don't get over 50%, that goes to a runoff December 6th. So you could be waiting weeks for the rest of this thing. But Pennsylvania has already warned us. I mean, every state is different about when they start counting those early ballots, the absentee ballots, the mail ballots that come in. And Pennsylvania waits late to start doing that, Election Day. And we know that there were hundreds of thousands of people who have already voted in Pennsylvania. So I think your waits in Pennsylvania and Georgia, and of course, those are two of the seats that may get, tell us control of the Senate. So buckle up. Is that how you see Kellyanne, those two, those two states? I see it exactly like that. And I would add Pennsylvania. In 2016, I went on TV daily and said, that's my reach state. We're going to go to Pennsylvania, 20 electoral votes. But the reason I said that also is because at the time, Pennsylvania did not have all this early voting. And I was very upfront about how New Hampshire and Pennsylvania have a tradition of day of voting. So we felt we had more time to get that message there. And we also felt, sure, there's absentee ballot in case you can't make it to the polls. But now it's so different in Pennsylvania, and they've admitted that they won't be able to report on time. I would just add to the to the conversation that Shannon started in Pennsylvania that just today it was reported John Fetterman and his campaign have filed a lawsuit. They want to count the, quote, undated and misdated ballots. They're already trying to say, look, you have rules and regulations that we all must follow. You have to vote in a certain way by a certain time. Um, He's saying, nope, if it's misdated or undated, I still want that ballot open because it'll probably be for me. Again, we can't have that. Everybody's so confused already about all the different ways to vote. And if we believe in one vote, one person, as our Constitution has enshrined for each of us, and Brian and Shannon, this is the most equalizing factor in our democracy. You have to do it right. This should not be so difficult. It's already – listen, none of it already matches the way we live our lives. You have to show an ID for so many things, and there are deadlines in your lives, in everybody's life. We don't start start doing something two months in advance and then continue to count it three weeks after. When When did election day become election trimester, election season? If it's that important to you, wedding day, graduation day, retirement day. You pick the day. And for for most people, they should show up at the polls on that day. I think the biggest mistake Republicans have made everywhere is codifying, institutionalizing, making permanent these pandemic-compelled way that we voted two years ago. If it's really a a once-in-a-century pandemic, let's talk in 98 years how to handle it again. This should not have been made permanent. Right. I I agree with you. And that's why people had the doubts to begin with, Republicans and Democrats. They thought, this is ridiculous. I got three ballots at my house. I never requested these ballots. Uh, I moved Now, listen, when we come back, we talk about 2024 because the former president did yesterday. And then we got to wonder this. Uh, And before you go, I just got to ask you this. 
is it okay for Joe Biden not to have a press conference after the midterm elections? No. No, no, it's, it's traditional, on. and the White House press corps is pressing for it, and that's not just Fox. That's everybody. It's the Kill networks. You. It breaks a tradition, but even the Washington Post now says he's got bottomless Pinocchios because you can't believe anything he says. These aren't gaffes. These aren't slips of the tongue. These are lies that the White House press secretary and the chief of staff who lives on Twitter doesn't clean up on in the press briefing room or on Twitter. Um, and so, no, they, they can't put him out there because they know that they can't trust anything he says. They hardly put him out there in the campaign. They certainly can't have him spinning these post-election they, results. They really can't do the job. But if I were Joe Biden, I would I would overrule that, Shannon and Brian, and I would insist on going mm-hmm. because they're going to try to make him irrelevant. And they are these liberal columnists in the Democratic Party. They're going to try to make him less relevant. Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell certainly can. All right. Well, we come back, uh, Kellyanne and Shannon Bream, appearing for the first time together. They chose this show. Uh, they've, they've turned down the Madison Square Garden, right? You've turned down. We're getting a cut of this, though, right? Yes. Okay. Yankee yeah, Stadium will come <laughs> um, second. Yes. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It costs them too much money. They can't count. No one's building new coal plants because they can't rely on it even if they have all the coal guaranteed for the rest of the the existence of the plant. So it's going to become a wind generation. And all they're doing is going to save them a hell of a lot of money and using the same transmission line they transmitted the coal-fired electric on. We're going to be shutting these plants down all across America. Really, that's news to people who work in the coal industry and so many people that are supported in West Virginia and Ohio and even in Pennsylvania. When they find out there's going to later on, he would say there's no more drilling. In two days, Shannon and Kellyanne Conway are here. He blew up everything he was saying. We should be up to capacity. Those greedy oil and gas company uh, uh, owners and CEOs, they're the ones who are taking windfall profits. And the Russians and the Russian war, Putin's price hike and the Saudi Arabia cutting back production. He just got when someone gave him sodium pentothal. Kellyanne, how devastating is that politically? It's devastating. When Hillary Clinton said, I'm going to shut down the coal industry in 2016, she was pretty much done in some of those states, and she didn't win them. It's one thing to not win West Virginia, which her husband had won as president, but which had slowly been becoming a Republican state all the way to Donald Trump carrying it by over 40 points in 2020 or 2016. But she hurt herself in Ohio and Pennsylvania and even the neighboring areas, Brian and Shannon, where maybe your family's not a direct stakeholder in the coal or energy industry, but you're what I call a shareholder. You care about the people who are. You know somebody who knows somebody who is. It's also very anti-American to be anti-American in energy. I'm not going to change exactly. my position on that. But look, Joe Biden, when he actually gets to talking about policies – when he's not just talking about democracy it's on the scary. ballot and silly things, he picks the wrong policies and then he picks the wrong fights with the wrong people. I don't know who's – look, I don't know who's advising him. I don't know who's putting that in the teleprompter. I don't know who's putting that in his head. That was a conversation. But, um, well, but that's listen, he's at conflict. You know, it's a conversation. But I feel like President Biden's in constant conflict with Senator Joe Biden. That guy has gone. At, we don't see any any remnant of Senator Joe Biden who was a little bit of a centrist and a moderate who was for the Second Amendment, who was for American energy, who was at a time pro-life. That guy's gone. But 22 percent of our country is fueled by coal, mm-hmm. let alone what we do exporting to other countries. So this is, a thri- this is a thriving industry, and a lot of it fuels the coal plant, uh, the electric plants that fuel the – uh, that fuel the electric cars. But it's when he's off teleprompter and he's having conversations and engaging yeah, with people that he right. says this stuff that then for the White House, 
we've played this soundbite. People can listen to it with their own ears. And then the White House says, we well, twisted. words have been twisted. Ah. Or the apology is, I'm sorry if you were offended by something that he said or you were yeah. upset by it. Like who, when you get the apology, like, I'm sorry if you were upset. Like so, that's not an apology. So next week we're going to digest these results. So you should be positive for Republicans, Kellyanne and Shannon Bremer here. Then we're going to find out that President Trump is making it official. He's going to be running for president. Mick Mulvaney said this, his former chief of staff on CNBC, cut 38. So do I think he's going to run? Probably. Um, do I think he's going to win a Republican primary? Probably. There are a few people that could beat him. I think DeSantis can beat him. Which Would you support him? In a Republican primary? No. I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm too many. I'm, I'm ready for a generational change in my party. Ron DeSantis be a great president. Tim Scott make a great president. Nikki Haley make a great president. Mike Pompeo, Mike Pence, go down the list. They're all in my generation. But if he's the nominee, you'd have to. Uh, you wouldn't. I think he's the only Republican who could lose, Joe. So uh, your response to that, Killian? Well, I've always gotten along with Mick Mulvaney. I was glad he was chief of staff, but he was fired from that job and replaced by Mark Meadows. I'm very critical of that replacement in my book, but... Look, I don't think the question is really generational change. That's a question the Democrats are going to be ra- wrangling with mm-hmm. even more than the Republicans. It's it's basically, is Donald Trump the guy who can do it again? What's the again? The again is the economy, is energy, is Putin not in Ukraine, is millions of people not walking over the southern border, is crime at a lower level, is fentanyl not the number one killer? So if everything gets stripped away, and it never will, but if everything just got stripped away, Shannon and Brian, into a binary choice— between Trump's America and Biden's America, Trump would win that. I think they're both going to invite a lot of third-party candidates, though, to be spoilers. Shannon, I think mm-hmm. you see what Kellyanne just did. Back to the economy, back to mm-hmm. back to results, and less about uh, less about personalities. Well, and like she says, like the issues don't change. I mean, that's what it is. Polling and candidates and all those things can change, but the issues and what matters to people and what makes them get off off the couch and go show up and cast their ballot. Those are always going to be very personal to people. They want to feel safe and they want to feel like they can make ends meet. Um, And so whoever is running in 24 is going to have to talk about that on both sides of the aisle. I think if President Trump is in, like we think he probably is, um, I don't know that President Biden will be able to resist that. No matter what his handlers or people tell him, I think he's going to be itching for that rematch. And I don't know if the country is ready for that again in 24. We'll see. I know every network is dying for it uh, outside the, outside these. Well, I don't know what our network. We don't have a homogenous uh, school of thought. I think if you see that, you watch our channel. But I think these other networks just dying on the vine. Are, they reach. They talk about Trump every day anyway. Trump derangement syndrome is real. I just talked to the former president twice this morning, and I said on a, a, a different show here at Fox News the same thing, which is the obsession with Donald Trump is real. But it doesn't just come from people who are drowning economically and searching for pockets of air. And say they're not even saying we're America, we're resilient, we have overcome worse circumstances than the Biden Harris administration. They're they're actually not saying that, Shannon and Brian. What they're saying is it, not that it will be so much better. It was so much better not that long ago. How do we get back there? But the obsession with him among people who don't like him, who didn't want him to be president, who don't want him to run again. I got to use the word. It's kind of weird. And it, t- Trump derangement, derangement syndrome is real. There is no vaccination or booster for it. <laughs> and uh, th- he's also great for business. Shannon, you're a lawyer. Biden's bad for business. Shannon, mm-hmm. you're a lawyer. What's the case that sh- he should be most worried about between Georgia, Mar-a-Lago, Letitia James in New York? 
I don't know. I think here in New York, there's a real, it almost feels personal. I mean, she talked about, and we played the clips about how she was going to go after him, and this was going to be something that would definitely really get done on her business, watch. Right? I mean, yeah, that's more about the business. Um, Georgia, we'll see how that resolves. You know, you've had Senator Graham trying to fight, you know, the ability to testify or, or you know, being called to testify down there. I mean, DOJ is what I personally, as an, an attorney, would be most worried about. Um, I think people have a lot of questions about how that's playing out, the documents got the special master. I think that's got a lot more tentacles to it probably than any of the other legal issues. I promote Shannon's wrong show. Well, uh, oh, on your first week, I promote the wrong show. You had the wrong guess. Right, I had the wrong guess. And you that's had to fine. correct me. I did. Is that's there fine. Any, I just want to – I'm going to give you 30, anything to promote. Um, oh, what should I be promoting? Right? Um, Are you just Shannon Bream until Sunday? Normally, I'm a day. I'm, this is my day off, so I don't know yet. I think we have some people in the hopper for this weekend, but we haven't have got them in yet. We've got a hopper Kelly that's and, activating 24-7. You're on every hour now, so when's the next time we see you on television? You're going to see me at 2 o'clock today on, with Sandra Smith and John Roberts, and then uh, tonight we'll all be there for yes, election coverage, which, which, again, speaking of not election day anymore, it's probably not going to be any different no. here. It'll be you, election week. Exactly. Do you think that we're going to have a lot of definitive results tonight at 11 o'clock? We're going to have enough, Brian and Shannon, that confirms the fundamentals that we've seen in everybody's polling for so long. And I've never seen a more straightforward, uncomplicated issue set. We're going to see that the issue set favored Got Republicans it. and Republicans. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's not offering to do anything. I'm going to stay focused on the people of Georgia. And um, the other thing I want to say is, is that not only does competence matter, character matters. And um, if you can't tell us the truth about the basic facts of your life, why would we trust that you're going to tell us the truth? So Warnock going after Herschel Walker's character, a guy who was with Herschel Walker last night and often throughout the campaign, Senator Lindsey Graham. Uh, Senator, welcome back. Your reaction to Warnock going after Herschel personally and talking about not telling the truth? Well, he's losing and he knows it. (laughs) These are things as an incumbent you don't say if you feel like you're going to win. You know, it's a Hail Mary pass right at the end of the game here. And Herschel's run one of the best campaigns in the country. <clears throat> if you ask Herschel what time it is, he'll say it's time to get somebody who doesn't vote 96% of the time with Biden. Um, he's really made this about a referendum on Biden, about Warnack running as a moderate and governing as a liberal. Um, I think Herschel's going to win without a runoff. Uh, the conditions for a red wave in Georgia really do exist. Why do you think there's a gap between Kemp and Walker? Uh, Brian Kemp securely up by about eight over Abrams and Walker but, neck and neck with Warnock. Yeah, well, one, uh, uh, you're running against an incumbent. Incumbents have advantages. Stacey Abrams not an incumbent. Uh, Kemp is an incumbent. So you would expect an incumbent to do a little better than a challenger. But uh, what I see here is separation between Walker and Warnock, that um, Herschel did a good job at the debate, I think a great job at the debate, exceeded all expectations, and he crossed sort of a magical line, can you actually do the job? Now he's doing a compare and contrast campaign. You vote for this, I'm going to vote for that. You'll never secure the border, I will. You, you want to make D.C. in Puerto Rico state, I want. You want to pack the Supreme Court, I want. I will vote for energy independence, you never will. And so there are going to be some votes 
for uh, Kemp and Warnock, but it's going to be nowhere near what the polling gap. I think I'll be surprised if there's two-point difference between what Kemp and Herschel um, wind up doing because, in many ways, this is a team sport. So you got two things, two women who came out about uh, claims relationship with yeah. Walker, and we know about the claims about abortion. We know about the things with his family. It seemed to be the same exact time he surged past Warnock. What do you think that people of Georgia are saying? Well, number one, it comes out in October. The second allegation is, you know, if you dig into it, you know, I don't think it stands scrutiny. Um, late bombshell allegations um, in an environment like this, um, they didn't get they didn't get the traction. Because Herschel was firm in his denial, and Warnick uh, has problems in, on his side with, you know, his wife on video saying, you know, he's a great actor. He just tried to run me over. I think what people have done is sort of taken the personal problems of both candidates, set them aside, yeah. and say, what's best for my family? I'm going to vote for what's best for my family. And what's best for their family in Georgia is to control inflation, restore control of the border, and become energy independent. And Herschel's been very disciplined as a candidate, and I think that's why he's going to win without a runoff. I want to go to Arizona if I can, because out of nowhere, Blake Masters is surging uh, even with Mark Kelly. Here's Mark Kelly attacking back at Blake Masters in, in Arizona. Cut 16. Let me tell you what we don't need is somebody in the United States Senate that says— Democrats are psychopaths, and that he doesn't even want to work with moderate Republicans. Think about this for a second. My opponent, Blake Masters, has said that he will not work with moderate Republicans. That is a recipe for total dysfunction. Senator Mark, this is fired up as I've hated him. He's been kind of sleepwalking through this election. Your reaction to the, the Masters, the candidate? Well, when you start doing this at the end as an incumbent, you know, he, he's going after the guy. Personally, and if you're an incumbent, when I ran, I didn't even acknowledge I had an opponent. <laughs> you know, you just run on your record. Uh, you have people say things for you. You don't need to say them yourself. So when you start <clears throat> using your your time as a candidate to try to marginalize or disqualify your opponent as an incumbent, you're in trouble. And Blake Masters, again, has been very, very own message. I spent two days with him. I think he's going to be a problem-solving senator. The problem Mark Kelly has, name one thing he's done that was consequential and said no to Biden. Now, Sinema can – she's got a pretty good list of things. She does. Mark Kelly is 100 percent with Biden, and that's his biggest problem is he had a chance to be different, and he chose not to be. That's just it, Senator. I know, I know you look to sometimes always look to walk across the aisle. Who can I work with here? And that's right. why you deal with Manchin a lot and you yeah, deal with leadership. Cinema. Where can I do it? And cinema. I, I thought Mark Kelly would be that guy. After all, I the guy's too. an astronaut, military guy from Arizona. Yeah, absolutely. So what happened? Did you approach him and or he just seemed indifferent? Okay. So he keeps his head down approach, sort of the duck and cover. I'll run out the clock. He's a nice fellow. He has a consequential life. It's a very compelling story. But in all the big fights, he'll never cross Schumer. 
He's new to politics. He's afraid to cross his Democratic base because it comes with a price. You know, look, look, I, I get our side mad sometimes. You know, I just try to do what I think is best for the country. And sometimes you have to take a path different than your own base. Mark Kelly is never straight at all. He's got a good tone. He's got a good attitude. He's a nice man. But when it comes time to break or to really put a deal together that's going to rub people wrong, he's AWOL. Uh, the president last night, the former president last night, was uh, campaigning for J.D. Vance. And at which time he did not announce he's running for president. He said he's going to do it. Basically, he says he's going to do it next week. Here he, uh, here he is uh, talking about uh, talking about the country that he left as, the pun, as, as opposed to the country we're in. Cut 37. And perhaps most importantly, we're a nation that no longer is respected or listened to anywhere around the world. We are a nation that in many ways has become a joke. We are a nation that is hostile to liberty, freedom, and faith. And we are a nation whose economy is collapsing into a cesspool of ruin. All right, I'm getting depressed. So with the music is a nice touch, but he did send some production value to it. And earlier he did come out and say uh, that next week you're going to be really happy. What's happening next week, and what do you think should happen to the Republican field? Well, number one, I'll be shocked if he doesn't announce next week. And he's on the right track. The pathway back for Trump is to do a compare and contrast campaign. When I left office, you know, 2020 grievance has pretty much run its course with me. I understand there were some shenanigans, and I understand being disappointed, and COVID probably was abused in terms of mail-in voting. But the way back for Trump is to say the border was in this condition when I left. Look at it now. I know how to fix it. Inflation is running rampant, particularly on the energy front. In six months, I can bring gas prices down. I can restore our credibility abroad and talk about making life better for Americans. If he will give a plan, put a plan on the table right. to right the wrongs of Biden, I think he can win. So that means you're not getting in. That means Tom Cotton's already made it clear he's not getting in. Do you think the field should clear for the former president? I think, one, I'll support him if he runs. And that's not a slight against other people. You know, I've got some base support in South Carolina. I think Henry McMaster, our governor, will come out for President Trump. Here's the way I look at it. With all the foibles of Trump and all the some all the things that really upset me at times, to be honest with you, I think he was a consequential president. Um, I think he deserves a a chance to come back. I think he's probably the the best guy in the field right now to turn the country around quickly. With Trump, I know what I'm getting, good, bad, and indifferent, right? I know he can do it because he's done it before. We got like let's talk about DeSantis. Uh Ron DeSantis One minute left. Yeah. Is um Incredible future. Trump picks DeSantis and Walker and Masters and Vance. He should be proud of them. Pompeo served with him. If I were President Trump, I wouldn't run anybody down. I would build myself up. I hear you. Senator Lindsey Graham, always great to talk to you. Uh, running around, trying to get back into the majority. Senator, yeah, what, would, what, what would you look to be chairman of? I'd be chairman of budget. Uh, I will replace Bernie Sanders as chairman of the budget committee. Right. The best trade since 
Babe Ruth, and you don't even have to like me. That's the <laughs> trade. All right, bye. Go get him. Senator Lindsey Graham, thank you. When we come back, a simulcast with Barney and company. Then I'll squeeze in some calls right at the end. Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here on Midterm Election Day. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back. I'm going to be with Stuart shortly, at which time I'm going to be talking about what's happening at 48th and 6th right here in Midtown Manhattan. We have a huge complex here setting up all the election studios outdoors because the weather's beautiful. Of course, security is always an issue, if you ask me. But Kathy Hochul has dropped the ball big time. She wasn't deserving to become the next governor. She's an accidental governor. She does not have a campaign, only raise money from people who have nowhere else to give it. Lee Zeldin has outworked her down by 14 in mid-September, closed the gap to single digits, and now between one and five points. Let's listen in to means Come on in, Brian Kilmeade. Look, Brian, Lee Zeldin vowed to save the city in his final words to voters. Kathy Hochul brushes off crime and says Zeldin has been, quote, hyperventilating. Let's see that one again. Roll it, please. He has been hyperventilating, trying to scare people for months. And New Yorkers are onto it. All the legitimate media organizations have called him out for what he is doing, fear-mongering. And I'm not even talking about the statistics. You can check that out yourself. Brian, I think crime got to her, and she's realizing it. What do you say? 20-year high in subway crime, it's a fact. Bill Clinton thought it was funny to be hyperbolic and cartoonish about it. Nobody else does. One day after Bill Clinton makes his comments... Two people were stabbed in the subway. One 54-year-old saw a woman being assaulted, jumped in, got stabbed in the arm. The other one got stabbed in the neck uh, in the subway. So continue to say it's funny where, she's, uh, where Bill Clinton comes out and says, what do you think, she gets to hand out billy clubs and bats before people go in the subway and the crowd roars? Certain things have to happen for a Republican to win. You have to have an extremely inept opponent, and he has it in Governor Hochul. You have to have somebody that is good at raising money and almost nothing else, who doesn't have good age around them to let them know inflation matters and crime matters. Both things, according to some reports we read today, have donors calling her up saying, what are you doing? you got to understand what the people are going through. Where's Lee Zeldin today, Stuart? He's actually all in New York City at subway stations, walking around. When I was going to Penn Station... They're handing me forms as I walk, go down into Long Island Railroad. I'm thinking to myself, Lee Zeldin, a Republican governor candidate, has a, enough wherewithal to understand that these Long Islanders commute and New Yorkers, sometimes they go back and forth in the subway. Let them know we matter and we care. He also did a good job with the, the, America, the, the New York Jewish vote. I think Lee Zeldin has a very good chance in today's election. I want to bring up Trump. He attacked Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida. It was, this was during a rally. DeSantis's name is on, is on the ballot today. Will Trump's comments, his attack, hurt uh, DeSantis's chances at all? Well, I mean, he did say uh, you re-elect Ron DeSantis yesterday uh, when, he was, uh, when he was campaigning for Marco Rubio. And there's a little bit of tension between them right now uh, because he feels as though he gave Ron DeSantis the boost he needed to get the nomination, ultimately become governor. But Ron DeSantis's performance has been nothing short of sensational. I mean, what he has done as governor and the confidence in which he did it, and now again after that horrible Hurricane Ian, the way he just sat there rebuilding bridges, grinded it out, 
put bipartisanship, put bipartisanship into play, never said a crossword about the president, understood the Republicans and Democrats have to come together, put politics aside and stop campaigning. So almost everything he's done instinctively has been correct. But I think President Trump is trying to clear the field. He's trying to let everybody know, I'm running. You don't want any of this. I'm very curious to see what will happen. Because either way, think about this, Stuart. Even if he runs, they know it's it. And if you're Tom Cotton in your 40s, if you're 44-year-old Ron DeSantis, Mike Pompeo is, is 56, I think, you got your best years ahead of you. You could wait it out and fight it out in a jungle primary as opposed to taking on somebody who's the most popular Republican right now, although has baggage. Politics is fascinating and fun, isn't it? Especially if we get a red tsunami. Uh, Brian, thank you very much indeed for being here. We uh, always appreciate it. I always appreciate the invitation. Thank you. Uh, yeah, you're welcome, sir. New York- All right, one 866 I haven't taken many calls. I have not had a chance. Quick thing, I just want to go over. Uh, if, you, if I was to summarize what the Democratic game plan is, democracy is on the ballot. Think January 6th and think about abortion and women's rights. What the Republicans are saying, look what they're doing to education. Look how they put trans rights uh, as for, first and foremost in their policy agreements. Think about 1619 Project. And uh, first and foremost, too, think about uh, think about with Donald Trump. They want to have Donald Trump the face of the party. So if you're in a small congressional district or if you're in a major Senate race, that's going to be the thing. Among the people who are critical of it is Van Jones. He said this on another network yesterday, Cut 9. I think there was this kind of fool's gold, this idea that you know, the threat to democracy is so severe in the wake of this insurrection, in the wake of these election deniers possibly grabbing control of the government, that that was something that you had to talk about. But you also had to talk about the economy. I think the tragedy here is that uh, the Democrats have something to say on the economy, but we didn't focus enough firepower on that issue, and I think it's going to potentially cost us. And, and that is it. And they think they have a story to tell. And they think their story is much more positive than the president's been able to tell it. But you can't say he's not responsible in part for the inflation. You can not say he's not responsible for the doubling of your heating and cooling bill. You can't say he's not responsible for the lack of diesel in our country. That's all about refinery capacity. You won't put them online and you incentivize taking them down and converting them or mothballing them. That's why John Avalon sees what's happening, another network, sees what's happening in New York and says, this is a problem for Democrats. Cut 10. Let's just get real about the dynamics behind these midterms. There's a physics behind the pendulum swing of midterm elections. And this stat really captures it. When presidents are below 50 percent in their midterm election, they tend to lose an average of 46 seats since 1982. 46 seats. So you can see Reagan, Clinton, Obama, Trump. Biden in that category, unclear how many, but that's a benchmark to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. You saw Joe Biden campaigning in New York State, right? That's a sign of Democrats on defense. Yeah. Let's be real about that. In New that. York State. In New York State. And part of the New York State, which has got Democrats worried, is the low turnout in New York City. Low turnout, when you know that most of your voters are in New York, says they're not enthusiastic, you're not worth their time to vote early, absentee, or on election day. So that's what has other people saying this could be the perfect storm to return a Republican to the governor's mansion in Albany, first time since Governor Pataki. Keep in mind, if you want to see me in person, and it's indeed a thrill, go to briankilme.com. I'll be in Branford, Brandon, Mississippi. 
from high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Britt Hume at the bottom of the hour, but I don't want to diminish my guest right now, Carl Rove. On election day, midterm election day, who better to talk to to get us a, an idea of how this is all developing, what could unfold, and when, as well as the impact. And when can we actually get results will be key. Uh, Carl, welcome. Thanks for having me. Wow. I mean, here election you are. Election day, here I am on your set. Right. I in mean, person. Are you as I always people keep saying this and I could play this back from the Mitt Romney election on down most important election of our lifetime. How important is it? You have you have such a historical relevance. Well, it, it, it's it is important because it's our chance to put a check and balance on the uh, Biden administration, which has governed over the last nearly two years in a, in a distinctly different manner than we were led to believe they would govern when he was elected president. We thought he was going to be the unifier who would bring the country together. Uh, major uh, steps would be taken in a bipartisan way. Uh, and instead, we had a guy who wanted to transform America, change us from something that we are into something we're not. And uh, so this is our shot to, to rein him in um, by, uh, by flipping both houses of Congress or at least one of them. Wall Street Journal did a study today, and they said right now the Republicans have made gains already. The GOP says they now have 70 percent of black voters. They said they would pick a Republican. That number was at 8 percent uh, during Trump. Latinos, uh, for the most part, the Dems have now an 11-point lead. It was a 31-point advantage for Democrats in 2018. Uh, so now it's, uh, now it's down. In August, it was up down to five points. This is significant. Before we get into individual races, something's changing. Yeah, look, it is, and it's going to be good for the country, good for the Republicans, but also good for the country. Republicans give credit to Kevin McCarthy and uh, Tom Hammer, the the chairman of the Republican Congressional Campaign Committee. They went out and got a diverse group of candidates, a record number of Latinos, African-Americans, women, Asian-Americans. Uh, Native Americans to run as Republican candidates, and as a result, and, and our candidates got you know awoke to the fact they needed to show up, and they have been. And as in some states, they've been showing up for a while. My home state of Texas, it's routine that Republicans get thirty-five or forty percent of the uh, Hispanic vote, uh, and in and in Florida, it's been usual as well there. But this time around. But mark my words, I think there's a very good chance to tonight that when the returns start coming in in Miami-Dade, mm-hmm. the Republicans will take Miami-Dade for the first time since 2002 when Jeb Bush was running for re-election. And in Texas, I would not be surprised if Governor Abbott wins 50 percent of the Hispanic vote. And guess where his victory party is going to be tonight? Not Austin, Texas. McAllen. Heart of the Rio Grande Valley, because the Republicans are running candidates in South Texas. We have three Latinas running for Congress, the mm-hmm. congressional districts down there. I wouldn't be surprised to see if one or two or maybe all three of the South Texas congressional districts are represented after tonight by a Republican. So, and so there's it's obviously a diverse Hispanic community. The Cubans and Venezuelans traditionally have gone with Republicans. Would you say that's well? The, Cuba, the Cubans have, but the Venezuelans are a recent phenomenon. Venezuelans, you have to, you know, we say Venezuelans, but it's Venezuelans and the Colombians and the Nicaraguans and hundred. No, no, no. Oh. But I just it's oh. it's a it's a bigger group than just the Venezuelans. It's the Central and South American, the recent migrants from there, and boy, have they turned out to be Republican. And interestingly enough, the Puerto Ricans who moved here after. Uh, the last big hurricane hit there several years ago. 
Uh, they moved to the I-4 corridor in Florida, and I thought we'd see it reflected in the vote totals adversely for Republicans. But in, instead, a lot of them are small business people and professionals, uh, even working class people who say, you know what, I'm I'm trying to escape the dysfunctional uh, government that we had in Puerto Rico. And I like the fact that I'm moving to Florida where I got a good job. I got safe neighborhoods. I got good schools, and people seem to accept me. I like that. And those the people in charge are Republicans. Let's reward them. So is that the only way? So you think that number is going to go up? And Miami Dade being there will certainly be interesting. Uh, by the way, I'm going to McCallum, Texas, not because I'm running for office or to I'm trying to impress you, but I'm, uh, we have a great affiliate out there. So I'm going to be signing my book, The President Freedom Fighter, December 17th. Would you travel there and meet me there? Uh, I'll look at my schedule. Why don't you come to Austin? We'll throw a little dinner party for you. Uh, well, that would be good. What would you serve? And would, would there be a cover charge? Uh, no cover charge. And, and we'd <laughs> we'd serve something uh, Texas. We'd have enchiladas or we'd have uh, beef, plenty of beef. We'd do something that's Texas. You know what? I just know there's uh, like the Hispanic. And we'll sell books in, in, in Austin. Come on, man. Come on. We get You can come on the 17th, give a little book talk at a – Luncheon club, and we'll we'll sell some books. KLBJ is uh, KLBJ. We're yeah. so lucky to be on that station. You are lucky, my friend. Obviously, they have no standards if they're allowing you on a KLBJ. Excuse me. What about my standards having Carl Rove as a guest on midterm election? Day? Well, I don't. That know. shows that's, a high standard. I don't know. I don't know. Well, uh, so that's the broad bait, the broad swipe of things. But let's talk about when we're going to start finding out about things. We know polls. Uh, most of everything's open around the country. We know that Alaska closes at 1 o'clock, but that's going to be some intrigue in the Senate race. At 12, will be A Republican Hawaii. will win the Alaska Senate race. May I? Who do you offer? think would be better off winning? What do you mean by better off? Well, you got Senator Mikowski yeah. against, against another senator whose name I can't really pronounce. Chewbacca. Chewbacca. So who's be, what's better for the Republican Party? Well, Murkowski's been a, a very a, I, 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 a tough I, I, vote. I'm going to leave it up to Alaska voters to decide. I, I contributed to Lisa Murkowski. I know her, dealt with her during my Bush years, and respect her. And uh, uh, you know, she's a slightly different kind of Republican than I am, but I respect her. Let's go. Uh, let's think about 11 o'clock Eastern time when California closes Idaho, Oregon, and Washington. Oh yeah. So we're thinking about Tiffany Smiley uh, yeah. pulling up an upset. She is terrific. She's and Drazen in Oregon. Drazen. And, then, and then the congressional races. I think we're going to pick up a seat, in, at least one seat in Washington, and we could pick up two or three seats in Oregon. So into, if Tiffany Smiley, I mean, I'm, I'm not familiar with how they vote and how they cast. I know Oregon's all write-in, correct? But what about in Washington? Do you think we'll get a, uh, a Florida-like result? Florida is now quick, same yeah, night. Yeah, yeah, Washington is mail-in. I, I, you, know, you know, I haven't checked to see if they – I think they allow people – Local election officials to begin processing the ballots upon receipt, so uh, uh, which means that it could be relatively early. But remember, it's eleven o'clock at night, Eastern Time. They still, you know, even if they've worked those ballots in advance, it'll take hours to. Come. So let's look at ten o'clock at night when Montana is now up. Ryan Zinke in a top five for that new congressional yeah, yeah, district, right? Yeah, right. Do you look for him to prevail? Oh yeah, I think he ABC will. Hill? It's a Republican district, so he should win. But he's been, you know, it's the the less Republican of the two. The Eastern. Part of the state is very, 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 very Republican. The western part of the state has a lot of expatriates in from California and elsewhere that have given it a slightly or somewhat less. And they have a libertarian mixed in there somehow. Exactly. Uh, And let's talk about uh, Nevada. Now they say, is is this right? Two hundred thousand unaffiliated voters that could uh, swing the balance either way. Yeah. Yeah, uh, they have a lot of unaffiliated voters in Nevada. And people are talking about Laxalt, right, uh, against Mastro Cortez. Yeah. Uh, We've got you know some of the evidence from the from the mail-in balloting is that it is less uh, Democrat than it has historically been. Uh, 
I, I think that makes it likely that Lombardo for governor and Laxalt for Senate win. The long time uh, you know, observer of Nevada politics, John Ralston, uh, says that he thinks the Democrats will prevail by a, a smaller margin. But I, I think the state's going Republican this year. Yeah, so, I mean, of course, at 9 o'clock we have Arizona and Colorado. Now, I was shocked to see that Chris Christie on Sunday said, look out for Joe O'Day. He said that he's unaffiliated with Trump. He's not really. He's he did get support from Mitch McConnell. Kind of surprised everyone. Mm-hmm. He was not the choice of Schumer's money. Schumer wanted to poison that race and put someone forward that he thought was unelectable. O'Day persevered through that. Are you as optimistic as Chris Christie? Well, full disclosure, I went out to Colorado and did three days of fundraising for for the guy. Three days of fundraising events. I, he is one of the most impressive candidates I've ever seen. If there's ability to really? clone that, oh yeah, no, he's got a great life story. Construction so what, guy. Well, better than that, adopted. He's adopted by a Denver cop and a stay-at-home mom. Finds out he's adopted, sort of begins to act out as a teenager, and uh, his uh, cop dad says, "Okay, boy, here's the issue." We're taking you out of public schools. We're putting you into the Catholic school. The Monsignors and nuns are going to beat you into shape. And uh, we got a partial scholarship. So you're working every Saturday and Sunday and every day, every summer in order to pay the rest of your tuition. And the kid goes to Catholic school, comes out, got his act together, enters the union apprenticeship, Carpenters Union Apprenticeship Program, becomes a union carpenter and is making a good living. And meets a beautiful, smart Latina, follows her to the to Colorado State University. She grad they talks her into marrying him. She graduates with a health degree, health professional degree. He is a few hours short of his construction management degree because on their kitchen table in college they decide to find to found a, a construction company. Today it employs three. He likes to say three hundred families. And is the principal construction firm for water projects in the Intermountain West and does a lot of road construction 35 years ago. And the guy comes across, you meet him, and you have an, an immediate yeah. sense that he's authentic, that what he says he believes, and that there's no BS behind him, and that he's a, you know, he's a, the consummate outsider in a state that's had – uh, you know, a bunch of a bunch of uh, Pauls. His See, opponent has no personality. And Michael you know, Bennett. Mike, uh, yeah, Michael Bennett. Uh, O'Day is is an outdoors. He's a guy's guy. So like he rides a 70. He does a 75 mile trail ride every year with a bunch of other guys. It's sort of been around for literally right. 75 years. And Michael Bennett, in his first TV ad, is out there. Yes, look at me. I'm striding through the mountain glen, and there I am looking at the tall mountain peak, and there I am in in the yeah, yeah. In fishing. He's well, stiff. you know. In Colorado, fishing licenses are public record. Turned out the guy had a one-day fishing license. So he's just being a complete phony about it. So Michael Bennett's wife is caught on tape. I don't know how they got it. Talking about what a joke the Inflation Reduction Act is. It's full of green energy projects and was totally mislabeled. And they all know it. We're told not to talk about it. Does that matter? I think it matters. Oh, yeah, it does. Because, look, Colorado is hurting. I mean, a lot of working class families. and, And, look, O'Day has a sympathy for that that comes across naturally about how people are struggling to, you know, at the end of the month, they got a paycheck and they got a stack of bills and they used to be able to pay all those bills. Now they can't. Right. And, and he gets it and is, and is a straightforward and he's not, a, you know, there's not a lot of hard edges on the guy. So he's easy to like. And if you can, if you're likable in politics, that means people are going to listen to you more. I agree. So here is uh, the big intrigue is the state you're in and the city you happen to be located, where Lee Zeldin today is buzzing around New York City on subway stops, bus stops, everywhere, just telling everyone and showing up at every criminal site. And I know him personally. 
He's not a showman. He's no. just the opposite of what you think. And that's why people thought that he maybe didn't have the, the you know, the thousand watt smile to be able to pull this off. But he's on the cusp. Here's Kathy Hochul on how she says Lee Zeldin's push to stop crime in New York City. Cut 23. You know, he has been hyperventilating, trying to scare people for months. And New Yorkers are onto it. All the legitimate media organizations have called him out for what he is doing, fear-mongering. And it's not just here in New York. That has been the Republican playbook all across this country. All you need to know is that the Democratic states are safer than the Republican states. Check out the facts. Your reaction? She is hyperventilating. <clears throat> Crime is up 20% in New York subways alone. Yeah. It's a 20-year high. Look, camp- campaigns often are about felt issues, the things that people are experiencing in their real lives. You cannot turn on the television in New York. You cannot pick up a newspaper. You cannot you know, stand near the coffee maker at the at office and not have part of the conversation be about how people are scared and about how people are horrified at what they see playing out in their communities and in their state. And for somebody to deny it like she has, uh, the tone deafness, the lack of empathy, uh, the you know sort of uh, sneering sense of elitism uh, from Kathy Hochul is, is what's made this race a, a, a barn burner. And Zeldin has been right to, to draw attention to it, as have other people in states that are experiencing this kind of violence. Look, when, when Seattle elects a Republican city attorney for the first time in 40 years because they're sick and tired of the Democrats being soft on crime, something's going on. When somebody in a state that hasn't voted for a statewide Republican in 20 years has a single-digit race going into, into the final week of the campaign, as you have here in New York, something's going on. And I, I thought her, one of her worst comments was she said, well, you know, I, I want the system to work and the system will work. You're in charge of the system. You're in charge of the system of, of criminal justice as the governor of your state. What are you doing to make this place safer? And the next step would be, well, the Democratic mayor of New York, one of the first things he did is go up to Albany and says, you got to work with me on the zero cash bail. I can't enforce laws. We're asking cops to turn around cases in an insane amount of time. They can't put together the case. Therefore, the man or woman gets out right away. They didn't budge. They laughed at him. Yeah. She could have stepped in. Also, isn't she invisible when Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis or and Governor Ducey are sending a buses here? It was the mayor against the governor. I never yeah. saw the governor weigh yeah. in at all. Well, Tell me she's this is this is a bad job performance. Well, maybe I, I'm going to maybe she agrees with Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis that the border is a problem, but 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 she hasn't spoken out about it. I mean, I, look, I think she's into conflict avoidance. I think she loves being governor. She loves the symbolism. She wants to be the Queen of England. She she likes being the Queen of New York, but she doesn't want to do the job, which is why she says, "I you know the system will work." Or <laughs> he's making this all up. Don't don't re- yeah go go get on the subways and don't worry about standing next to the wall and having your head on a, a, a swivel to make certain that nobody's going to push you out there. That's uh, that's all baloney. I mean, re- elections are about the reality as people experience them. And the reality in New York today is is that crime is on the rise and the government seems unable or unwilling to stop it. But you were willing to stop by, Carl, and give me a huge, almost a half hour of your time. You know what? I was honored. I was honored to be on your program and and 
I appreciate you making an exception and allowing me to come into the studio. Right, and the good thing is, Eric, you taped this, so the whole dinner party thing, I'm going to play it back and maybe on your voicemail to make sure you do throw me this dinner party. Hey, hey, Martha McCallum, (laughs) we threw her a wonderful party. Ask her about it. I did not know. i got to follow that story. Exactly, exactly. In fact, you know, uh, I think Ben Crenshaw came to to her party. Maybe he'll come to yours. You mean Dan Crenshaw? Ben Crenshaw. You mean the golfer? Yeah, who's oh. my neighbor. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and he's a huge fan of yours. I've, Did I, you know that? No, I did oh, interview no, him for he my loves, book. He loves it's you. It's how you play yeah. the game. Yeah. Wow, that's nice to know. Yeah. Uh, very rare for golfers uh, to actually like me because I'm so terrible. That usually is a big turnoff. Yeah, I'm not allowed to play golf, so but he's still my friend, and your and he's your fan, as, as is his wife, who's a huge, even right. bigger fan of yours. Thanks so much, Carl. Back in a moment. Learning something new every day. On the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Talking about my historic commitment to HBCUs. Uh, that includes a $5.8 billion I put in the budget for HBCUs. You know why? HBCUs don't have the endowments other have, but guess what? You're just as smart, you're just as bright, you're just as good as any college in America. All right, that is uh, an inspirational word, talk tongue-in-cheek, from Joe Biden. And at Bowie State, it's a predominantly black college, a historically black college. Uh, very, few people, uh, very few people have done as much uh, for as uh, President Trump has done on that, but I guess he did write a check there too. But the HBCUs are something that I guess now they're getting some more attention because a lot of uh, superstar athletes are going, choosing it. And one, uh, there's two superstar legendary players, I think Hall of Famers. Deion Sanders uh, is coaching there at Jackson State. And, uh, and Eddie George coaches uh, an HBCU. So that's pretty significant. The President of the United States was in Maryland yesterday. He forgot the name, I think, of his candidate that he was there. It's Wes Moore to support a guy that was up by 40 points. Now, I understand traditionally the presidents that win uh, two years later, they're not as popular. And we know they give up seats traditionally. But nobody is as unpopular as, as President Biden. And they say that he's got 40 percent approval rating. I'm not sure where that 40 percent is from. I really don't. If you think about Afghanistan, you think about what he's passed, you think about the anger in which he shows, you think about he cracked down on drilling and what he said about coal. I mean, he's just alienating everyone by the day. When we come back, Brit Hume joins me in studio. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, thanks so much. Keep it here on this midterm election day. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I don't know why the Democrats, and this is nationwide, I don't know why they can't be more aggressive addressing the issue of crime. You can be a progressive, but you still understand that job one is public safety. And the truth is some people have to be put in jail to keep society safe. I know it sounds harsh mm-hmm. and Democrats don't like to say it, but it's the truth. And until we start addressing crime aggressively and bluntly, uh, we're going to see this issue. Uh, Britt Hume's with me right now, Fox News senior political analyst, and he's going to be all over the election coverage for the next few days. Hopefully not too many days, Britt, because we want some 
results. But I thought that was interesting. Last week, Governor Cuomo hopped on with John Castamatidis, and he had something to say. And I think that he is so bitter that he was me too his way out of uh, the governorship. And he thinks that Kathy Hochul turned on him as his former lieutenant governor. And he had no problem hopping on 77 WABC and saying that. You love that. You understand this intrigue. What do you think about Governor Cuomo's stance? Great to see you. Uh, Brian, good to see you in person, my friend. Thank you yeah. for having me on with you. I, I think he's right, but it's not as easy as it sounds because – you know, Kathy Hochul needs, above all, or first of all, I should say, she needs to to keep the base behind her. Right. And so you come out and and start going right on crime and punishment. Um, it may appeal to a lot of people that say, finally, somebody's saying it. But it's not. It's not as Cuomo himself admitted. It's not such hot politics in the Democratic Party to do that. And she's. I think she's. She and other Democrats are just afraid of it. Well, possibly. But how do you not acknowledge it? I mean, her her comments, not only – well, he's saying you got to acknowledge it right. in a progressive way. And number one, he did not – you know, he volunteered evidently. It was not hard to book him. He's dying to talk and get back into it. Uh, the, you need the perfect storm for Republican to be successful and for you not to acknowledge it. But listen to Kathy Hochul when asked. Evidently, she's getting very aggravated that she's getting these tough questions from reporters. Cut 23. You know, he has been hyperventilating, trying to scare people – for months, and New Yorkers are onto it. All the legitimate media organizations have called him out for what he is doing, fear mongering, and it's not just here in New York. That has been the Republican playbook all across this country. All you need to know is that the Democratic states are safer than the Republican states. Check out the facts. So, hyperventilating about crime, and then the next two days prior, Two stabbings in the subway. A 54-year-old tried to break up because a woman was being assaulted. He got stabbed. The other one got stabbed in the throat because they got in, a, in an argument on the subway. Crime is a is on a subway. Crime is at a 20-year high right now. Is that the correct political response? I don't think so, Brad. I've been coming up to this city for work for a long time, and I was up here a lot during the 1970s when the city was pretty crime-ridden and there was garbage in the in the gutters. A and, beam. I remember all that very well. What it was like. Uh, and this, what I'm seeing here now, very different from even two years ago, reminds me a lot of the 1970s. It's one thing to campaign against fear-mongering. Nobody's in favor of fear-mongering, except you don't necessarily want to do it when people are legitimately afraid. Yes. And people, I think, right now in this city are legitimately afraid. I have a granddaughter who lives here, and I, you know, I'm, I'm reading about all this, and I'm speaking with her about it and warning her about it and asking her when she's using the subway and all the rest of it. That's where people are. That does not seem to be where Kathy Hochul is. So we know this. Uh, it seems as though he's gotten about nine significant Democrats to endorse him uh, in the city from state city officials to say, I- I've had enough. I want to do this. And Mayor Eric Adams has been frustrated and humiliated every time he went up to Albany to say, listen, get rid of this zero cash bail. My guys can't get their cases together quick enough before you release these prisoners. And the same people are committing the same crimes. And he got laughed at by by Democrats. Lee Zeldin might be a better partner than Hochul for for Eric Adams. Well, that may be true. And and what's one of the interesting results of this campaign season has been the emergence of Lee Zeldin. I've seen Lee Zeldin around Washington for years. And I always thought he was, you know, a reasonably competent Republican congressman from a Democratic state. Um, And, you know, where could he go, I thought. And in this campaign, I'm seeing a, a kind of a different Lee Zeldin. He's 
He's forceful on the issues. He seems well-informed. He seems well-prepared. He's articulate. He's turned out to be a pretty good, pretty effective candidate. And I don't think campaigning is Kathy Hochul's strength. So that gives Zeldin, you know, that and the issues have given Zeldin what appears to be a real shot. See, what what I want is even the bigger picture, less the horse race. I want to see a better country. I love to see a Democrat be upset outside Henry Cuellar at what's happening in the border. I love to see a Republican. The only way Democrats are going to get to understand that these issues matter is to either, number one, lose the Hispanic vote, or number two, start losing traditionally blue seats. And until that happens, like what could be happening in Oregon, I don't think they're going to change their beliefs. And the moderates who tend to believe what I just said are not going to feel in, they will feel empowered to start speaking up more, like the Kristen Cinemas and the Joe Manchin. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, tomorrow and the, and the few, next few days ahead, if, as expected, the House goes Republican, either big or not so big. But nonetheless, it'll be an important shift. It'll mean that legislation will be, you know, unless it's something that Republicans like, will be, will be stopped in its tracks. Biden will have a, a, it'll be a day of reckoning for him. What's he going to do? How's he going to respond to this? Is, is he going to adapt and adjust and make peace with the new reality? Or is he going to continue, as he's been doing, of denying and claiming that, you know, that, that uh, this is not, not a big deal and, and he doesn't make any, need to make any real changes? My guess is that his party will, will be pressuring him to make some real changes, maybe to shake up his cabinet. Certainly he'll have to change his legislative agenda. It'll be interesting to see what he does and how his fellow Democrats respond to it. So people just say, well, nothing's really going to happen because he's still going to have – he's going to be able to veto everything. And I thought to myself, if he loses the Senate – and he wants anyone nominated to be confirmed. That's when you use the leverage. Hey, we got to gut those 87,000 IRS agents. going to be a problem. You know the wall that is rotting in the middle of the desert that the American taxpayer paid for? You're going to have to start putting that up. I mean, have you ever seen a Washington in your years covering it where they do some of that trading and that so-called horrible thing called compromise? Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen it repeatedly. And we all of us famously saw it after 1994 when the Republicans took control of the House for the first time in four decades. I mean, it seemed like a lifelong fact that Democrats would control the House of Representatives because as long as I could remember as a reporter, they always had. And when that changed, it was it was a sea change. And Clinton, although he would he fought with the Republicans on a number of things and he led Newt Gingrich into numerous traps, uh, he did adjust his legislative agenda. He signed the welfare reform bill that we all remember so well. He effectively adjusted, but he's a little different from Biden. Clinton was a guy who'd come from the South. He'd had to deal with conservative voters for uh, much of his career. He, he understood their ideas. He even liked some of them. Um, Biden's a different breed of cat. He's never been anything but kind of a standard Democratic Party man on the issues. And and he's tried to be where the heart of the Democratic Party is now for the last couple of years, uh, well to the left of where he used to be. He'll need to adjust. He'll need to adjust. And will anyone want to be working for him knowing that this will probably be his last term? And knowing that things aren't going to go well and they're going to be feel somewhat powerless. I mean, do you see mass resignations taking place? Well, if I were if I were advising Biden, and it's not my business to do that, but if I were, I would say, uh, shake up your cabinet, sir. You got a weak cabinet, um, feckless on the border, feckless on energy, uh, uh, and on a number of other issues, on crime in particular. Um, he needs to do that. Whether he will, it remains to obviously to be seen. I'm sure you saw with the Washington Post with uh, they did some fact checking on him, uh, gave him uh, the ultimate Pinocchios, Bottom, bottomless Pinocchio. So they some of the it. things that they just finally decided to call him out at, 
He says that he was around with President Xi. He traveled 17,000 miles with President Xi when he was uh, vice president or vice chairman over in in China. That never happened. They said no one's ever been able to confirm that. He said it at least 20 times, that he understands China because of that. He says that the average day of the uh, price of gas is three thirty nine. It is not. He says when it took over, it was $5. It was not. These are blatant lies that even the Washington Post had to call out. And he says, on my watch, for the first time in 10 years, seniors are getting an increase in Social Security checks. They had to pull that down as a tweet and as a statement that he made because it turns out there was a law that passed that says Social Security has to go up with inflation. Right. And so, inflation so he, adjusted. So it's inflation. He doesn't have no credit for that unless you want to give him credit for raising inflation. Exactly right. Uh, he, look, I've known Biden forever. I always rather like the guy. He's a, you know, in person, he's an affable, good-natured guy. <laughs> I once told him to his face that I thought he was a windbag, and he laughed it off and said a lot of people think that. Right. So he's, you know, he, I, I kind of like Biden. But he's always, he's always been unbelievably gaff-prone, blurting out all kinds of dopey stuff, has done it forever. And now he's senile, and, and you don't know what he's going to say. And, and Do you, you really mean that? You've, you've, he's senile. I mean, you you see him come in and out. I mean, Brian, I'm the same age as he is. I'm getting senile, right? We all have it. Senile is not a medical term. It's a colloquial term that means showing the effects of his age. Of age, he certainly is that. And I think he's a more advanced case than some of us. But because he's forgetful, he's it looks like he's going to he's almost falling down places. He's an old man, an elderly man, and an enfeebled man, and the job is too much for him. And do you think that if anyone cared about him in his life, they would see what you just said? Look, I, he's always wanted to be president. I remember when I was covering Why is he him, in Delaware all the time? Huh? If you want to be president, why are you always leaving the White House? He spends all his time in Delaware walking the beach. Well, I don't blame him for that. The White House can seem like a confining place. But you, you – I, I would it's never not, leave. I don't, think he wanted to be in, I don't think he wanted to be president so much so he could live in the White House. He wanted to be president because he Power. thought he ought to be the president. And right. it's always mystified me as to why he thought that because, you know, he, you know he, it's not, he's not without his good points. But I never really thought of him as presidential timber. I wrote a piece, a, a long piece about him many years ago in the 80s before his first presidential campaign in which I predicted at the end of the piece that his campaign would be short. It was. Um, right. I never thought he'd be president. I never imagined he'd be president. And, but he's never stopped thinking about it and trying and – and suddenly it fell in his lap. Because nobody else was there. It was the perfect yeah, storm he of wasn't the perfect winning. pandemic. When he, when he emerged from the pack uh, back, in, back in 2020 to get the nomination, he was nowhere. He was. No, he'd, remember he got killed Clyburn. in New Hampshire. Well, it was all about Bernie Sanders, really. So what we ended up with was Joe Biden's presidency and Bernie Sanders' agenda. I, I don't think anyone can argue with that. And, and Eric, would you just play either one of those clips, either the one about coal or the one about uh, we've stopped drilling. This is what I think you're talking about. It's not as if it doesn't make any sense. It also just blows up the agenda of what he's been telling everyone about the reason why gas and oil prices are so high and diesel so scarce. It costs them too much money. They can't count. No one's building new coal plants because they can't rely on it, even if they have all the coal guaranteed for the rest of the existence of the plant. So it's going to become a wind generation. And all they're doing is going to save them a hell of a lot of money and using the same transmission line they transmitted the coal-fired electric on. We're going to be shutting these plants down all across America. So Joe Manchin blistered him in a way you wouldn't think possible, knowing that election was two days away. 
and 22% of our energy source is from coal, let alone what we export around the world because China, India especially, and everyone's using coal with the Saudi Arabia of coal. And he just blurts that out knowing that oh, so many of these – also Pennsylvania's big coal – Think about this, Brad. How 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 tone deaf is that politically? That's but it's Hornbook Green policy, right? And that is where he cast his lot. Uh, I think it was a mistake on his part, but that's where the, he felt the beating heart of his party was, and what he wanted to do. Remember, the worst thing that happened to to Joe Biden in his presidency, in my opinion, was when Donald Trump went to Georgia and helped blow up the two Senate seats that, had, that should have ended up in the Republican hands would have given Republic, Republicans control of the Senate. It would have meant that the legislative agenda would have been, would have been more measured. But when he, when, the, when he got control of both houses, he had visions of historical sugar plums dancing in his head. He was going to be FDR, and that has led him where he has gone. And in my opinion, that's what gives, gives rise to all this whole green agenda that he's supporting and all that, and he's still spouting it. I, I don't think I can argue with you. And next thing you know, he's meeting with John Meacham and historians to talk about how to have a historical presidency and find out what FDR did. Right. And that's why we end up with $4.5 billion um, Build Back Better, which thankfully blew up. Uh, a couple more minutes with Britt Hume. He's going to be all over our election coverage tonight. We're lucky enough to have him in studio. And if you're watching Fox Nation, you're seeing him live and in person. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I think there was this kind of fool's gold, this idea that you know the threat to democracy is so severe in the wake of this insurrection, in the wake of these election deniers possibly grabbing control of the government, that that was something that you had to talk about. But you also had to talk about the economy. I think the tragedy here is that uh, the Democrats have something to say on the economy, but we didn't focus enough firepower on that issue, and I think it's going to potentially cost us. I was like hearing Van Jones, obviously an advisor to President Obama. He's on another network. Britt Hume is here for a couple more minutes. And he just said the whole threat to democracy, democracy is on the ballot. He was not buying it. He never thought that was a good message for Democrats to use. What about you, Britt? I don't think people buy it either. People think democracy is the ballot. And they're about to go and, and fill one out. Right. And and that's that's democracy. That's not a threat to democracy. People don't buy that. The other thing is we keep talking keep hearing people say, Well the Democrats need to talk more about crime and inflation and the economy. You gotta have something to say if you're gonna talk about it. And at this stage of their ideological development, Democrats have very little to say about either issue. So the one thing about Trump, the controversy was how he handled the problem, not identifying. He knew problem in the streets. There were riots in the streets, right. these people giving up their police precincts. It's not gonna happen. I'll put federal troops in. Got a problem at the border, gonna do the remain in Mexico. I don't like the remain in Mexico. I don't like the idea of tariffs on Mexico, the threat. I don't like it. It's okay. But at least we were identifying the problem. Right. And used to, you and I used to debate on how he's doing it compared to past administrations. They won't identify crime. They won't identify the border. And they just want to shift it to how callous it is to use these illegal immigrants as uh, pawns. Pawns, yeah. You hear that all the time. So have you seen this before? I mean, I, mean I've, I, I must say the border is something that has astonished me and continues to because here's a festering problem. Illegal immigration almost uncontrolled. Streaming People streaming into this country, un, you know, unstopped and unstoppable, it seems, day in and day out. We have the video. We do it every day. Others won't cover it, but we do. 
And I look at that and I say, there's no serious effort being made to deal with this. No serious effort. I've rarely seen an issue that's so obvious and so palpably illegal um, be ignored the way it has been. And then you got the drug issue that goes along with it that affects Democrats and Republicans' children. You'd think. So yeah, you'd that, think. To me, that, to me is a, that to me is astounding. So a lot of people get caught up in the hype. And what do you think? What do you expect tonight? Right. Without, without telling me, what do you expect to happen? And do you think we're going to get a real sense by the time you get off the air? Everything we can see, Brian, just as a, I can see as a reporter, says huge Republican night. The polls say modest Republican night. The polls have had a history in recent cycles of underestimating the Republican vote. So if the polls are wrong again, we'll have a big Republican night. We'll soon see. Do you think that we'll get a sense from what you know by 11 o'clock tonight? Well, we might well because there are a lot of races in, in, in some in Virginia and some here and there where we can Bell measure. Weathers. Yeah, well, we can measure you know, not necessarily who won or lost, but you know what the margins were and get a sense of which way this thing is going. So we'll have a good sense of it. The person to watch on that is Carl Rove. He's on top of all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I saw him with his numbers now. He's looking for his phone. Right. So that's why I want to make sure you I wanna, get, When I'll, you leave, I'll, are you going to leave with all your stuff? I want to make sure that Carl has his phone. Absolutely. That's what, we need. That's that's what the whole network needs. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But, uh, Britt, he kept coming into a segment he was no longer in looking for his phone. You would never do something like that, right? Well, if I left my phone behind, I You're would. You're coming I'd, right back in. You'd be on the next segment. I'd be crawling around on the floor <laughs> looking for my phone. <laughs> that would be a story. Uh, Brad Hume, thanks so much. We'll watch you all night on election coverage. Thanks, Brian. Great to see you. Back in a moment. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.